Are we witnessing the decline of Western democracy? I know it sounds crazy. We're going to be discussing Russia-Ukraine and how, for the first time in at least our generation, a Western democracy has been invaded by Russia. Welcome to Thoughtbox. My name is Shreyas. My name is Hannah. As of Thursday afternoon, 40 Ukraine soldiers are dead, and 10 civilians died as well. And this is only the beginning of bloodshed, right? But there's a lot of history behind it too, right? I mean, why does Russia want Ukraine so bad? Yeah, I think there's a lot of history behind what Vladimir Putin thinks. He kind of came into office with this mission that he wants to restore the prowess of the Soviet Union and that the breaking of the Soviet Union in 1989 is the most insulting thing that's happened to Russians as a culture, as a community. And do you think he has like something to prove to also Western powers, like really showing that he doesn't want Ukraine to stray away? Yeah, I think if you if you look at Ukraine, it's kind of like if, you know, Texas decided to secede from the Union and we just like didn't have anything that we could do about it. And we'd always want them back to prove that you know, the American model works, that we're not weak. And it's kind of something that Russia's always wanted. It's just been waiting for the right moment. But there are separatist regions of Ukraine, yeah. right? Well, let's go back a little bit. Like mm-hmm. what's really started this conflict? Um, I know there was like the 2015 peace deal, for example. Um, but what has happened recently where Western influences or NATO at least felt this, was, this peace deal has been threatened? What do you mean by that? I mean, I think that Putin recognized the rebel-held territories mm-hmm. and their independence, right? Right. So how does that infringe on the 2015 peace deal? Do you know? I think so. For the peace deal, there was this, it, was, it was a really big blow for Ukraine, right? Because right. it was giving them uh, independence in a way that was hurting Ukraine's sovereignty and essentially gave a chess piece to the Russians that they could use at any time. And they waited seven years and now they're using it. But I think it's deeper than the separate regions because Ukraine, Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, is a very ancient city for the Russian people. And people who used to come from that region in, in history were called Russians. And Russia, Russian is a, you know, the first language for many Ukrainians, including the current president. Right. He's from a Russian-speaking region. In Ukraine. Yeah, I I think like recently he when he um, called to Putin to like stop everything, he even spoke and mm-hmm. like, he spoke for like six minutes for the longest time. Influent Russian. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the language he's more comfortable in than Ukrainian, mm-hmm. the country he's the president of. Right. And by the way, this this president, I don't think a lot of people know this. He's of this party called Servant of the People. You know how he ended up in power and how that party was created. So, it was a coup, right? So it was, he's a stand-up comedian. What? He was a stand-up comedian all his life. And he created this production company when he was younger, and they would do TV shows. That's crazy. And one of the TV shows he did that blew up recently was Servant of the People. And it was about a teacher who somehow ends up becoming president. And it's kind of this pillar of honesty, working for the people, doing the right thing, combating the oligarchs. And the show was such a success that he ran for president, made the name of the TV show, the name of his party, and won. People 
perceived his show and the character he was in that show as who he is in real life. And then, as president, he's been cracking down on oligarchs. He created this law and he sent it to the Russian, or sorry, the Ukrainian parliament uh, that basically creates this four-point criteria for who is an oligarch. If you meet three of them, the government has the right to crack you down. So he's really taken this character and made it to real life. Imagine the guy from West Wing, I totally blank on his name, started a party called the West Wing Party and then became president. That's genius. That's exactly what he did. You know, starting... I did not know that. That's yeah. actually really cool. So but, it's interesting because like Ukraine's a very young democracy, but arguably not a great one, right? They're electing literally a stand-up comedian because he was good at acting to be president to become president. But I guess as Americans who are we to judge. <laughs> well, that's a little fun fact for you. But as of now, at least you mentioned this earlier, but dozens of people have actually been killed. So this is, you know, this yeah. is war as we see it. And yeah. as you mentioned, this is like the first that we're seeing in our lifetimes. Yeah. So this is actually happening and it's kind of hard to internalize because you know we've been talking about uh, movements in Ukraine the border for what seems like weeks now and I never actually thought we would get here I didn't think that Russia was actually gonna bait but sure you actually called it you kind of saw this coming so do you think at least like anyone's at fault could this have been prevented because I think personally this could have and we didn't have to be where we didn't have to reach this point. Yeah, so for context, a couple of weeks ago, we were doing, um, during our specs meetings on Tuesdays with the group, we were doing presentations on Russia, Ukraine. And my perspective was that, this was very early on, but my perspective was Russia will invade Ukraine. And my reasoning was not because of the troop development on the border or because of escalation or because of the fact that the Ukrainian president is severely underprepared for such situations. I think if you look historically, you, Russia, as, as we discussed earlier, has always wanted Ukraine back. It's always wanted the states and the Baltic Sea back. So why now? So our whole life as Gen Z, we've been protected by enormous national security infrastructures. In fact, our, you could argue our entire Western civilization national security infrastructure is NATO and is the bilateral security council in the United Nations and is in large part G20. Our entire national security infrastructure is to contain Russian aggression ever since the Cold War. But now that Western national security infrastructure has protected us for our whole lives, is broken, it failed. And we were not able to contain Russia in attacking a Western democracy. America can't protect Western democracies the way it used to, and so Russia recognized that. Do you think America's kind of at fault for this, I mean, like we talked about this before, but during the Obama administration, they didn't adequately address Russia when it first even started, when this whole initial conflict started, they didn't take any action. So do you think that Putin saw this as kind of an advantage point for them to really exert their influence and know that at least the US or Western influences won't take any tangible steps? Yeah, so after there was proof coming out during the Obama administration that that the Kremlin was playing an active role in trying to influence the election, they did not do anything about it because they did not want to be seen as interfering with the ongoing election, one president interfering with the current election, where his own party's up for um, contest. You know, it's a bad look. But either way, Russia didn't get punished for it. And, you know, this is um, right after they annexed Crimea in 2014. And I think the real... Um, 
The real like audition for whether Russia can invade Ukraine happened last year. So last year, a lot of people forgot about this, but the Kremlin was behind hacking the colonial pipeline, mm. which shut down gas for millions of houses in the U.S. It was a huge crisis. It was resolved fairly quickly. But what did we do about Russia? Did we really go hard on them? Did no. we try to remove them from the national uh, global you know, family of countries? Yeah, we put sanctions on them. But Russia doesn't care about European and U.S. sanctions anymore. And that was proof of that because they've just built this incredible access with China where they don't need European trade and American trade as much where like sanctions are going to be detrimental for them as they needed it 15, 20 years ago. So the fact that I guess Russia is so self-reliant now, and it's interesting that you brought China into this too, what does this mean for Western democracy? I mean, as you mentioned, all these like NATO, all these initial organizations that were created to stop the expansion of like Russia and China, they no longer work. I mean, Russia has had years to prepare themselves and that's a worry. Like at this point, even sanctions on, for example, gas and everything, like, you know, Russia is a huge exporter of gas. It's it's going to be influential on us too. It's going to hurt us in the long run too. So at the end of the day, the power dynamic has drastically changed. Yeah. What is the future? I think the world that we're in, this is a huge indicator of how rapidly things are changing. We've been very comfortable as a global hegemony for our whole lives. And even our parents have had that luxury for their whole lives. But that is complete change, right? And yes, there's a caveat. Like, we never let Ukraine into NATO because it would just be too low of a bar to initiate all of Europe and America going to war with Russia again. That being said, it has always been understood. And in December, the Biden administration said, if Russia invades Ukraine, we're going to put troops on the ground. They've completely backtracked on that. Now they're saying the worst we're going to do is sanctions, but we're going to hit with our nastiest sanctions, right? It really shows that Russia understands that Europe and America are completely in disarray. And also the fact that the most powerful economy in Europe, Germany, um, Chancellor Merkel got rid of all of our nuclear power plants and has created action plans that are being upheld with the current chancellor to get rid of the rest of them by 2022. So they're very reliant in a way never before on Russian natural gas. So now the U.S. and Europe's strongest economy, Germany, are not working together on a cohesive anti-Russian aggression plan. So this has just created this huge power um, vacuum that is being filled by Russia and in other ways is being filled by China. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine what this must be like for Taiwan right now. I, I think it's just an overall message to small emerging democracies that no one is safe, you know? And it's also a larger message to powers like China and Russia that the world is rapidly changing and perhaps they're the new leaders. Yeah. And it's hard to argue that um, Russian and Chinese leadership is not dictating American actions in a way because we have not been very strong on protecting Taiwan we were not very strong on protecting Hong Kong. I mean, it's not like we have any interest in them as if they were American territories, but they're democracies, and we're not standing up for democracies in other parts of the world. I mean, it's even small things. Biden had a summit for democracies, I think, early last year, and they cut someone off and just ended their video because they called Taiwan a country. 
So during a democracy summit, someone got cut off for calling a democracy a country because it went against a communist government. That's like John Cena getting canceled. Yeah. And having to apologize in Chinese. Yeah. Exactly the same. And he's great Chinese, surprisingly. I would not expect that from him. You should be taking notes. Yeah. But yeah, it's crazy. It doesn't seem like this is just World War III. It actually seems like a complete change. And I think our future is going to look very different in terms of what democracy is going to look like. Yeah, I think it's it's now proven that Western civilizations cannot protect democracy. And it's interesting what this means because these things are not going to happen overnight. It's not like Russia is now going to invade the rest of Europe and it's going to you know, go to war with America. I mean, it's, you know, it's unclear that's what's going to happen. Probably not. But what is going to happen is that these small incremental changes are going to keep happening. Like how what like what happened with Russia and Crimea, like what happened with Russia, the colonial pipeline, and them interfering with their elections. These small steps keep happening, and when we're going to wake up and Russia's invading Ukraine, and another day we're going to wake up and, and be like, we're being invaded. Or yeah, <laughs> you know, like we're going to be like, wow, like we have been on the decline, um, or Western democracy has been on the decline in terms of their power in the world for so long that some major event happens, and then we'll be discussing how do we get here. The thing is, we've been here for a while, and it's just going to keep happening. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Thought Box by the Stern Political Economy Exchange. We'd love to hear your thoughts and can be reached through email at specs at stern.nyu.edu. We'll see you next week.